I'm Alex. Um, today we're talking about appropriate marriage ages. <laughs> <laughs> Click off. Apparently yeah, there's a fine. formula, mathematical yeah. equation. Um, Alex has never heard of the half your age plus seven rule. Yeah. Um, which is that it's is, more of a guideline than a rule, but it's but it's like this is the youngest you're allowed to date is legal. Well, legally, legally, it's eighteen. <laughs> But like in terms of not being like a creepy weirdo who's like yeah. getting weight out of your like age range. Yeah, the, it's it's half your age plus seven. So, and the minimum is eighteen. Because like I was just commenting about how apparently some these crazy, are for people that are above eighteen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or above eighteen. Um, the there was some Russian heiress who spent one point six million dollars on her wedding, and she's eighteen. And my initial reaction was, why the fuck is an 18-year-old getting married? And my reaction is, it's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I feel like that's like a normal people's reaction. But anyway, so uh, half your age. You can react seven, to that. You can react to both. I feel like both of those things. <laughs> they're, they're, they're equally valid yeah. things to be discussed about. Yeah. So she married a 23-year-old. So the half your age plus seven is you take half your age. So 23 half. would be, half would, that would be 11. Yeah, let's round up to 12, say. Let's 12. 12 plus so 7, seven no, so years. 9. So, no, so it's... 19. It's, it's so. a little out of the range, but... Yeah. Regardless. So the, yeah. That's too young. <laughs> but I pointed out that even though they're, like, billionaires, they do still live in Russia, so yeah. their their life expectancy is going to be much shorter. I mean, they only But have they're wealthy in Russia. Yeah. So, like, they're... They, they're pay taxes in Russia, but yeah. they live in, like... But they're still doing crocodile. They, you know? they, they, they live Her in... Her legs are going to fall off in a few weeks. <laughs> they sleep in, Mont in like, uh, in Monte Carlo. Yeah, But yeah, they, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Official residence is in Russia. I mean, I mean she's going to get divorced in six months anyway, because that's what happens to 18-year-olds who get married nowadays. Yeah. Because the, they're not dead in six months. Because they're not dead that's in six the... months, so, you know. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, if you're 18 and listening to this, don't get married. No. Just just don't. Like, wait. Well, she's got the financial security down, so that's yeah. that's that's the one reason. So clearly she's marrying for love and mm -hmm. stupidity. Or he's marrying for money. That's, no, because he was some also, like, equally as ludicrously wealthy tycoon. So this I'm is some nerds like, have a rending, podcast. Rending <laughs> some nerds have a podcast, y'all. Yay. Yay. All right. Talking about nerdy stuff, like yeah. rich Russian people. Half yeah. your age plus seven. That's the rule. Half your age plus seven, man. So, all right. Well, here we are. We, like, the first, what what are we going to call this? Book club episode? Yeah. Uh, book club. Book club. Ooh. Literature club. Literature club. Literature club. Nerdy. It's a, it's a book club. Literature. Let's, let's, let's. Um, we should. It's over here. Oh. This book? <laughs> oh okay. The one that's already been uh, grabbed. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. Oh, cool. Sorry. So, uh, we mentioned a few episodes ago that we uh, were going to be reading uh, the book The Long Way to a uh, Small Angry Planet uh, uh, by Becky Chambers. Uh, we both, we all, we all three read it. Mm -hmm. um, well, there's been a while since I finished it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You finished it before the last time we recorded, I think. Yep. So, yeah, mm -hmm. we, we took about a month to do this. You did it in about two weeks. It's a very quick read. I think we ended up actually doing ours in about two weeks, too. It's just okay. that we started two weeks late. We also listened to the audio We listened to the audio I highly recommend. The audio book is a, it's really well done. Pretty good, yeah. So, um, The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. I recommended this uh, because it is, I don't know, how, how would you guys describe it? Because I've talked about this book a lot, and... I kind of want your. I, this is the second time I've read it. 
and I've read the other book in the series as well. This is your first exposure to the series, so what did you guys think? So, um, I think one of the reasons why we recommended it is because initially we were talking about um, way several episodes ago. We started talking about um, Ready Player One. Yes. And how much ire that brought out in us. Yes. And so trying to find, and then we were like, oh, Juan Diaz's The Brief and Wondrous Life of Oscar Wilde, like Thanks. that. And then we turned out, out that he's a he's huge piece of shit. So. so trying to find woke nerd lit. I suppose, yeah. Um, I guess is 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 what we're trying to do and trying to get more kind of woke nerd lit out there in the universe. Cause I like I feel like a lot of like nerdy literature is bad. Hashtag Elise. Yeah, yeah. 2018. Yeah. At least <laughs> did, edit out my last name. Did you just use your name as a hashtag? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> should we should we blink out that blink, last blink part? Blink out all that. Uh. Anyway, I'm just kidding. But, but yeah, like hashtag. This is great quotes from 2018. Yeah. Uh, Nerd is bad a lot of the times. I mean, not everybody's going to, you know, there's not always a J.R.R. Tolkien. And he certainly has his own yeah. racism um, and other issues. Or Douglas Adams. Or, or Douglas Adams or... Uh, and we were drawing a blank. Terry Pratchett. Yeah, 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 you know. So trying trying to find stuff that appeals to people who like fantasy, like sci-fi, but also, you know, people with a certain moral and political bent. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Becky Chambers, like, really hits the nail on the head. Mm-hmm. This, yeah, this, this book does a really good job of being, like, a, a like, it's it's a journey. It's a long mm-hmm. way to a small angry planet, but it's, it's very episodic. Yeah, but it's very much just kind of the uh, what is what is it called? Um, framing device to introduce the world, the yes. universe. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so it's just like the actual story itself, the the journey, isn't necessarily all that important to the things that are explained in the book. But it's a great way to kind of introduce these uh, different species. These this you know political what is it called the galactic um the galactic galactic commons, commons yeah which is their like un kind of but it's kind it's, of like a cross between the it's, un it's, but it's like the federation like... it's a it's a federation yeah, yeah it's it, it has a parliament it has a but yeah rules. but there's also like individual species still have their own laws and own yeah. governments and own sectors of space so mm-hmm. it's a, it's like the it's eu a, yeah it's an of. eu or like a confederation of some sort something like that it's yeah. like stronger than like nato yeah I guess. Yeah, NATO, I mean, NATO is just like a military alliance, but yeah, like, yeah. that's true. It's it's it definitely is more binding than something like the United Nations. Yeah, it's probably closer. I, I suppose the closest analog in our world would have would be the EU. The European it's like, Union. They have a common like currency, currency, and a common like set of rules that apply. But individual species still have their own sets of laws for their own, that apply yeah. to their own space. Mm-hmm. And the way that like you have to petition to be a part of the European Union, and it's, like, an extreme vetting process, like, very much mirrors what's going on in the Galactic Commons, where, like, some species are trying to get and become a part of the Galactic Commons. Yeah. And kind of in the same way that, like, the EU has, like, the major players of, like, Germany and France, they're, like, the big three. She refers to it, like, the big three species, which are Andrus, Andrus the Quaylans, Quaylans, and the Hamongrins. Uh, Hamargians. Hamargians, yeah. Are they, are the Al... 
Oh, the alley ones. So yeah, there's I, four. Alien, no, no, no. It's the big three, and I think it's. I don't think the Quaalun. No, no, yeah, you're right. Not the Quaalun. The Quaalun are not a part of this. It's the, the Andrus, the, the alley one, and the the Homargians. Which ones are the Quaaluns again? Uh, the Quaaluns. The militaristic ones. They're yeah, the other. They're the ones. I thought that, those were the alien ones. The alley ones are also fairly militaristic, but the the, the Homargians are the ones. Oh, excuse me. The Quaaluns are the ones who um, who stop their ship. Oh yeah, no, they weren't. They weren't a major player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, okay. So, like, the Androscar Reptilian, the Eluans have scales, like scales, but it's, like, they're very, they're shimmery. Yeah. They're, like, fish people, kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose. But they don't speak. They have yeah. voice boxes, because speech is not a thing that they do. Yeah, they, yeah. they don't have a sense of hearing, mm-hmm. um, naturally. They've developed technology to kind of work around that. But, yeah, they, they speak with, like, um, lights, lights and, and colors. Um, and then the, uh, the Margians are, like tentacle creatures yeah they like yeah. they used to be like the galactic empire yeah. like in the past like they used yeah. to be the colonizing conquesting people but they chilled out yeah i guess people and, and are okay with them now there's kind of like a little bit of like everything like you say the militaristic ones but it's like the aliwans are fairly militaristic like they're fighting like a everyone war. has like a military yeah, yeah. no they yeah. have a mil- what i mean more by militaristic is more imperialistic like yeah. they yeah. they went on like it talks about it in the past like they had conquered other species and, and yes. colonized yeah. the planets and such like that so i guess we're getting into the well let's let's kind of back up a little bit and just kind of talk about and then they're humans yeah, and then they're humans, and the humans are very much, like, small, minor players on a galactic stage, but they are, like, within the last century or so, they've been recognized by the galactic commons, um, and they, so they have the full GC citizenship, but they're, like, they're relatively scattered, they're still a fair, like... Not they're like, the Poland of the GC. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even say that, because there, there's, like, a, it's a diaspora, mm. um... Where it's like you've got some humans living in a fleet um, that has left Earth, and those are basically like the poorer people of Earth, like their descendants yeah, are Earth, living in this fleet. Yeah, Earth had like you know that whole thing with climate change. Yeah, yeah that happened. Yeah, yeah, they didn't they didn't solve that problem in time. And so rich folks like Elon Musk went to Mars, and so all of the descendants of people who live on Mars are like money old moneyed families. Mm-hmm. And then everybody else was kind of stuck on the planet. And then eventually they're like, well, fine, we're just going to build our own ships and fuck you guys. <laughs> um, and so they're referred to as the Exodens and they have a little fleet that's kind of been going around. And that fleet has been kind of fragmented in some way where people would every once in a while find a planet that they're like, we're just going to settle here. And so humans are kind of scattered around everywhere with like the richer folks kind of living still inside the solar system. Um, but then there's like other colonists, colonies that have kind of built up, and people living in the fleet. Um, so there's like a lot of there's a there's a large variety. It's a very pluralistic mm-hmm. society, and I feel like that before we get into the actual plot of the story, I kind of want to talk a little bit more about like the politics um, and, and like kind of a lot of the issues that the the book addresses. Because you're right, Alex. Like the, when you say the plot. Like, you're talking about, like, why the characters are going on this journey. Yes. Um, and that is definitely, like, kind of in the on the back burner of what's going on in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you mentioned, it's it serves more to kind of introduce the universe because, you know, there's a, there's a long journey that they have to go on. So there's lots of different stops. We see a lot of different things and a lot of different cultures. But I feel that the actual heart of the book, more than just the universe that the author is creating, 
is the individual characters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, more than most science fiction, I would say that the, one of the reasons why I enjoyed this book, and to a slightly lesser extent, um, I, although I still liked it a lot, the, the sequel, um, A Closed in Common Orbit, um, is all they're both focused on a group of characters and who these people are and kind of how they interact with each other and the world around them and their various relationships. So the core of this book is very, very interesting because while there are military things and big political struggles and big, like, you know, major corruption, major, yeah, major corruptions and, uh, galactic exploration and scientific progress and all these things that we typically see in science fiction. This book is not about any of those things. <laughs> um, this book is about a group of really they're working class people. You know, they're 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 road crew mm-hmm. more or less. Yeah. Um, they they build galactic highways um, on the way to connect this newly uh, recognized planet to the rest of the galactic commons. Uh, so we're looking at this first of all from a, a working class perspective. Uh, a very diverse perspective because it focuses fairly evenly. I, I guess Rosemary is kind mm. of the main character because she's main-ish, yeah. main-ish. She's sort of the outsider for the rest of the group. The rest of the group has kind of worked together for a while. So she's the audience surrogate. She's the audience surrogate in a lot of ways, but like the all of the characters get moments to shine and moments to be like the most important, like the the focal point of the story at that particular point mm-hmm. in time. Um. So we've got the human captain, Ashby, who was raised in the fleet. Uh, we've got the pilot, who is an Andrus woman. Uh, named Sissix. Named Sissix. We've got the Algist, uh, which is the, the, the engines for these ships are powered by algae, which but, is kind of an interesting mm-hmm. uh, fuel source. And a, def- a very plausible one. Um, like, especially with a lot of the research that's going on now. So it's kind of on the current uh edge of technology with what's happening so the the uh the the he's another human kind of which is a slight spoiler for the book so i guess we'll get into that when we get into spoilers but what's uh, his name again corbin corbin yeah um and then there are the techs uh the computer tech is uh jenks who is heavily modified both in terms of like body art and like equipment uh, but also uh, a dwarf, which is rather unique. Like, in, we live in, you know, the, in this book is set in an age where people tweak their genetics fairly regularly, so birth defects have become kind of a thing of the past. Um, but his mother was, like, part of this crazy hippie colony who, like, lived on, live on Earth and, like, you know, wanted to go back to the caveman days. So, yeah. So, and, and then when anyway. the, yeah. Um, there's Kizzy, who's one of my favorite characters. Yeah, She's the great. mechanical tech. Um, just very, very bubbly and happy and just kind of very high energy person. Yeah. Like, like I think I was reading somewhere, some interview online with the author and she was like, Kizzy is the person that you would not want to be as your tech and yet everybody would love. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah no, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, both um, of them are humans. Uh, then there is the ship's doctor, doctor, doctor chef, chef, doctor chef. Cook, doctor chef, who is called that because his actual name is completely unpronounceable by most species. Um, he's, he comes from a, a species called the Grum, which is mostly extinct. 
Um, and he had, like, one of the things that is unique about them, and one of the things I appreciate about this is that the aliens feel genuinely alien. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they're not, like, Star Trek aliens, where it's like, they look like people, but they're blue, or, you know, that kind of thing. Where it's like, no, like, how crazy off the wall can we make these species, and how can we make it that they can still interact? So, he has, comes from a species that, uh, changes gender partway through their life cycle, Mm -hmm. um, and kind of is sort of looks like a cross between a caterpillar and an otter is the way that he's described. Mm. Um, and has several sets of vocal cords. So he's just always making noise like all the time. Uh, and then rounding out the crew. Well, two, there's two more members of the crew. There's the AI, uh, the ship's computer. Named Lovelace. Lovelace or Lovey as everyone calls her. Uh, and finally their navigator, uh, who is referred to as they because they are two individuals, uh, what is called a cyanat pair, uh, Ohan. And Ohan is uh, infected with this virus that makes cyanat brains able to comprehend very abstract concepts of like a, like physics and mathematics, uh, but also kills them at an incredibly early age. So that's our crew, and that's kind of who we focus on through this. And then, then there's Rosemary, who, as we mentioned, was kind of the um, the clerk. The clerk. She's she is in many ways the audience surrogate. Um, she's a human woman from Mars trying to flee the corruption of her family, basically, and start a new life, um, which kind of unfolds as the story goes on. But we don't really know much about it at the beginning, although it is fairly obvious from the beginning that she's hiding from something that she's trying to start over again that something has happened in her past so uh and the story is about them as i mentioned their their trip across the galaxy to a place that has not been connected to the rest of the galactic commons and then create a new i am going back to douglas adams i suppose the best way to think of it if you're familiar with hitchhiker's guide they're creating a hyperspace bypass connecting this particular planet to uh this particular small angry planet to the rest of the galaxy and kind of their way to get there, which is the long way around, and then the fallout and repercussions of how big of a mistake this particular mission was. Um, so if you're interested, if you still haven't read it, if you still haven't listened to it, go check it out uh, if you don't want spoilers, because I think from this point on, we will be getting into spoilers. Uh I, well, before we get into it, let, let's talk about like the politics of this. So what makes this um, a particular political, in, in many ways, particularly when it comes to like gender and identity politics? So real quick, I just want to, oh, okay. I'm going to read the art, uh, the author bio on mm-hmm. the back of the book, uh, which is, which I think kind of illuminates why this book is so interesting and complicated. And there's, there's just a lot going on. So Becky Chambers was raised in California as the progeny of an astrobiology educator and an aerospace engineer and an Apollo-era rocket scientist. Um, So as far like aerospace is in her blood. Yep. Um, An inevitable space enthusiast, she made the obvious choice of studying performing arts. (laughs) After a few years in theater administration, she she shifted her focus towards writing. Her creative work has appeared for The Mary Sue, Tor.com, 5 Out of 10, The Toast, and por- uh, Porno Kitsch. 
Um, the only one I don't know of is the last one. Uh, the Long Way to a Small Angry Planet was funded in 2012 thanks to a successful Kickstarter campaign. She's now employed as a technical writer, which grants her the ability to devote more time to science fiction. After living in Scotland and Ireland, Becky is now back in her home state, where she lives with her partner, who I think is her wife now, um, but I'm not positive. She's an ardent proponent of video and tabletop games and enjoys spending time in nature. She hopes to see Earth from orbit one day. So it's a... I th I think the reason why this book is so interesting, beautiful, and complicated is probably because it is written by, like, she is literally the only person that could have come yeah. up with some, this and some, created this. Someone with a very humanistic kind of personal experience, but a very scientific background. background. Yeah. Um, which is what, like, yeah, the, the main focus of this book being on the characters, being on their interactions. It is a very human feeling book in a very scientifically plausible sounding world yeah um like it's not space fantasy and the no. way that like doctor who yeah no absolutely is space not. fantasy it's, it's, like, it's very, very much grounded. hard science fiction but very humanistic at and the same i think one of the things that i like about becky chambers and i don't think this is a spoiler she good science fiction um takes very human problems and explores them in in a in an alien environment in an alien environment yeah. thank, thank you that's that's the perfect way of putting mm -hmm. it and that's what she does because it's with almost everything in the book you can see very tangible analogs yeah in you know what's going on at the news and what's going on around the world and it's very like you there's a lot of different things that you can fit into it like it's not very yeah. like it's not really like hit you over the head with this is what i'm talking about right there's not like a one-to-one -one comparison but there's a lot of things that like the people deal with that you know the world like our world is dealing with right now which is um what i really appreciate about it and not to sound like a misandrist, but I feel like women science fiction writers tend to get this more correct than men. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I, no, but. I think there's some truth to that because I, I read a lot of science fiction and, and I think the people who do that kind of stuff best tend to be the women writers. And they're, they're painfully few of them in sci-fi. Which is bullshit because we started it. Yeah, that's true. We created this shit. <laughs> anyway. um, but, I mean, the, I was thinking about who else could write something like this. And there are a few authors who I think could have written something like this. Yeah. Um, it, it's very it's very similar to, like, Ursula Le Guin's, like, more mature science fiction. Uh, as opposed to, like, the stuff she wrote for, like, like young adults, which is also very good. But, like, The Hainish Cycle. It reminds me a lot of The Hainish yeah. Cycle, which is one of my favorites. Um, it's very similar to Octavia Butler, um, her science fiction. Uh, and I suppose like there are male writers who could do stuff like this, but they tend to stun, they tend to focus more on like military science fiction yeah. a lot of the time. Um, but even or like they with the expanse, it's, it's, yeah. you know, it's very focused on like law enforcement yeah. and if it is, and when it is focused on politics, it tends to be focused on the major players. And again, what I you know? what I enjoy about this book is that it's not focused on someone who really is a major player. Like it, all of this is kind of common man's viewpoint. Like they're not law enforcement. Like, 
They're not. Uh, they're not military. They're, they're a road. Like they're literally a road. They're crew. a road crew. Mm-hmm. At one point, like Doctor Chef, like Doctor Chef has a quote towards the end of the book. He was like, you know, history remembers who draws the borders. Nobody cares about who builds the roads. Yeah. And that's what they're, they're literally building the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's get in a little bit into the, the, before we get back into spoilers, let's get a little bit into, um, the reason why I recommended this is because this is a book that is in a lot of ways about identity politics and kind of how it impacts us and how it impacts our relationships and how we can still like work and love and care about other people who are extremely different from us. Yeah. Um, so what do you, what did you guys think about the politics of the book? Um, wow. I'm like trying to think of like how to, how to say that without, how do we start? How do, how do we start? Okay. Let me, there is a lot going on. Let me start then with, with how I first discovered this book. Um, because I I think the way that I discovered it was through um, a listicle of all things <laughs> on Book Riot, um, which is a, a, a book website uh, where they did a listicle of uh, I can't remember if it was specifically science fiction or if it was just novels that feature positive representations of queer polyamory (laughs) which is like a major focus of the book of like some of the characters in the book and i was and i was like wow that sounds incredibly interesting and i picked it up and read it purely based off of that Mm. and that is a large segment of like some of the stuff in the book but it's not like nearly all of it so i guess i guess we'll start with that is that how about the the question what what was the thing that you were drawn most to Politically, yeah. or sorry, I cut you off. Well, I was, it was mostly what did just what did you think about like the 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 use of identity politics in science fiction? Because as, as much as science fiction is often about, you know, how do we incorporate and deal with the other? It is almost always told from the perspective of straight straight white dudes. Yeah, yeah. You know? No, that's a good point. Um, like even Star Trek, because yeah. being created by a straight white dude. You know, it tries to do this kind of thing, but it does not succeed, I don't think, in terms of how do we incorporate the other into a society quite as well as this book does. I think one of the strongest choices that that Chambers makes, like, right off the bat, Mm -hmm. um, is by not making humans a dominant species. Mm -hmm. I can agree. So it was a strong choice. It was the best choice to go with because, like, even with Star Trek, yeah. especially with Star Trek, humans are at the, the, the focal point the, of the, the universe. The center of the Federation is, is in California. California. <laughs> like, you know. And, like... It's not even Earth. It's specifically, like, the, like, the like, center of, like, the one of the most important places in the United States is one of the most yeah. important places in the galaxy. And Douglas Adams, you know... Throws that completely, does the complete opposite yeah. of com- making human beings completely, completely irrelevant. Not, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this, it's like, I like that it, I, I, it, it strikes it, a it, nice balance. It strikes, one, it strikes a nice balance, but two, it, I think it brings the identity politics and the feelings of an outsider to the forefront because mm. we're human and so obviously we're going to be drawn to like 
the, the human, human characters, yeah. and like they're the least, they're the ones that we had to learn the least about because we're like, oh, we, they're human and we accept certain truths about them right off the bat. And I think because of that, it makes it, it gives you a way into the identity politics mm. of it. Where it's like, even if it's not an identity, like if you can't quite understand that identity, yeah. you can understand through the way that humans are treated in this book. Yeah. Like what it what it means to be an outsider, what it means to be different, what it means to. Not. I love how we completely bypass the LGBTQ though, because uh, Kizzy has two, two dads, dads yep. and she like nobody questions it, nobody says anything about it. It's just like yeah, Kizzy has two dads, and it's just like an accepted like gay marriage is accepted, but we're gonna talk about we have some things to say about interspecies relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which <laughs> um, which is obviously, like, yeah, clearly. Because like, yeah. it's, like, how far in the future? Yeah, point? it's yeah. it's a few, I don't, I don't know exactly, but it's, it's a few hundred years. A few hundred years, because they, they, they go through, they don't even use Earth years, obviously, because no one lives on Earth anymore. Well, hardly anyone lives on Earth anymore. Um, they just use GC, well, GC GC units, which are standards, which is something similar to a year, and it's divided into ten days. Yeah, instead of weeks. Yeah. Um, and then the day itself has a different number of hours, so you have to have like a standard day, um, because obviously, if you're talking about a society that's spread across, you know, who knows mm -hmm. how many planets, moons, and uh, colony ships. Yeah. You know, everyone's gonna have a different standard of time so you just have like one standardized unit of time to be able to make sense of things yeah. so it's about three centuries into the existence of the galactic commons but human beings are a relatively new species in the galactic commons so um but yeah and i think that what you said about like making humans kind of an outsider to make it make more sense that's kind of really driven home and this isn't getting into spoilers just yet but there's one part, uh, I guess about halfway through the book, maybe a little bit more, where they talk about, like, an older character who talks about the day that humans were accepted into the Galactic Commons, and he was, um, this is an alien speaking, this is an, uh, an Andrisk speaking about, like, oh, yeah, I, I was there, I remember that day, and I was buying some supplies for my ship, and the person working at the store was a human, and the news came on over the feed, and... He started crying and I didn't know what that was and like just this old thing about like what does it mean to be accepted what does it mean to be like legally recognized as an individual and how does that impact people who are downtrodden and people who are kind of cast aside like even if it's just kind of a symbolic moment like how important is that symbol mm. um but yeah, as I mentioned, the the thing that kind of drew me to the book is is it starts off is I found it on a list of positive representations <laughs> of queer polyamory, and that's what oh, there's a lot of gay in this. There's book. a lot. There's, there's so much. There's gay. a lot of gay, I but love it's like it. it's not. And as Elise pointed out, it's not like considered weird or strange. It's just part of who people are because there's also like everybody's fucking everybody in this book. Um, yeah. humans are fucking humans, humans are fucking aliens, uh, organic species are fucking computers, <laughs> you know, it's just... Although, although, in the time, in this book, that is that, considered... Yeah. That is considered... So that's interesting that that's, like, a taboo. Yeah. A mm -hmm. huge taboo is, like... It's not necessarily that it's taboo, it's just that it's... It, it, AIs are not considered full people. Yeah. 
even though you know we see throughout the book that they clearly are but mm-hmm. like the laws haven't quite mm-hmm. caught up with it yet so it's like there's a lot of things that are accepted but there's still a fair amount of bigotry like there's a which i thought was interesting i love how like the number one insult in this book that you can give is specious. Yeah. You're a speciesist. Like that's their, their form of racism. Uh, you know, is that you have bigotry or, uh, or you privilege certain races. Like that's an interesting thing to me that like Sissix yeah. ends up getting privileged a few times in the book because she's an Andrisk and she's part of the, her race is part of the big three. So, like, she gets treated differently than the humans, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and like, it, it, I, I got nothing for that. Sorry. <laughs> no follow-up for that. Yeah. Um, but another, another kind of theme of uh, the book, I would say, just to kind of completely segue off to another thing. No, That's go, for it, go for it. Um, is the idea of the crew is not just, it's not just that they're, everybody's fucking each other. It's that it's a family. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, not in the, the Fast and Furious style, but. <laughs> but an actual, like, they, they really do care about each other. Mm-hmm. And they've, they've chosen to be together and. Even though Ashby writes everybody's checks yeah. at the end of the day. And Ashby is very much like a father figure. Like, he's the one but, in but charge. But only to certain, but... certain people, like, because he's not that to Sissix. Um, like, yeah, Sissix and I him suppose. are more, like, brother and sister. Yeah, yeah, that's But I, I always thought of, like, when I was reading, well, listening to this, as, like, Sissix and, I feel like Sissix and Ashby are sort of, like, brother and sister to themselves but they're also like the mother and father i i, wouldn't I don't know because like dr Sissons. dr chef is definitely the mother figure oh yeah in this never mind i mean i don't know if you need to assign actual roles yeah, to people true, in this true. this weird because, crew like, family Kizzy and jinx are definitely like they're the mischievous children they're the mischievous children <laughs> um and Ashby is trying to like keep a corral on them, but I wouldn't say that like, like, like he's love... a father figure to Sissix. Because like you've got Doctor Chef and Ashby and Lovely is like these kind of people that yeah. keep everybody you know safe. keep everybody in check yeah. and keep everybody safe. There's the loner and uh, Olan o- Ohan 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 who's the uh, sign up pair mm-hmm. who just kind of stays in their room does yeah. their thing till the end. Um, um, which that's a really interesting. That's that's a really interesting part. We'll get into that later. Yeah, um, we'll and then like Corbin is sort of like the aloof, awkward sibling. I don't know. Um, yeah, and then like Rosemary is like this newcomer, um, which her story is like interesting and compelling. And everybody like that's the thing is like every one of these characters maybe could have held a book on their own. Yeah, absolutely. But could. I love that they're all Except together. Except for maybe Corbin. Maybe Corbin, is, Corbin and maybe Ohan. Because Ohan gets really interesting towards the end, but like, and Corbin gets is also he gets like, more, interesting, more interesting. But I would say the even then, like his his story wouldn't yeah. be able to carry an entire. Well, book. you don't want to write read a whole book about how algae needs to be kept at the right levels. <laughs> yeah, right, keep, keep everything in the right temperature. Yeah, right? get cranky about things. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes I do really. Like yeah. That. Um. It was, I. I really need this to become an Amazon or a Netflix series. It, it's a really good... Because it good... reads as... You know, this is, like, kind of... Kind of how, like, other media influences each other. I feel like this is a really good example of this because it's not... It was not written with the intention of becoming a bingeable series, 
but this easily fits into like a 45 minute episode yeah. format it's it's extremely you know? episodic like there's lots of little things that happen throughout the book that that they all build to the one kind of, there's story, like a there's but... a there's definitely an overarching overarching story mm-hmm. that happens and all of these little episodes fit into this overarching thing that's going on but like individually they're they're interesting and there's kind of mini climaxes within that it's very like based off of ovidian structure ovidian um, structure so oh so you're you're ready for some let's talk about ovid uh, and I know that Becky Chambers was pulling from this because my girl is also performing arts major. So I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say she's probably also pulling from this. So there is in theater specifically, but in other forms of, of literature, uh, there is a, it's called Ovidian Structure, based off of Ovid, based off of the works of the Metamorphoses. Our, um, metam- uh, Ovid's, metamorphoses yeah and uh the it was a reaction against the aristotelian structure or aristotle structure um which we all kind of know and love right where you have introduction rising action climax falling action so a bunch of feminists got together and were like we need something different because this relates too much to the male experience of sexual pleasure uh, climax. Ha ha. Let's all laugh at that. Anyway, but but it was like this feminist reaction in theater against that. And so the creation of kind of Ovidian structure, um, where it was a series of revelations, um, that's kind of where that comes from. Mm-hmm. And this is very much like in the structure of Ovid's metamorph, where it's like it's it, there's an overarching theme, there's an overarching kind of plot line, but we have these kind of mini episodes fit- feeding into all of this, which is also kind of like how we view bingeable series. And it was written in, you know, it's written in the early 20 teens. Um, so, bingeable series like Game of Thrones, like Orange is the New Black, like literally like name something that we've all watched within the past year. And that's, that's what this is kind of inspired. That we've all by. except for Alex. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. That's true. But, um, like I say, I haven't watched either of those. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, that's that's what I, that's what I got to say because. Oh, that's interesting because yeah. I, I didn't know about that and now I do. Yeah. So thank you. You learned something new. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely you know if it, so you kind of see both like how theater I think I'm assuming I'm presuming and maybe I shouldn't do that but I'm well, presuming it, how a theater background. Yeah would have influenced this book, but also, like, how we now watch television influencing how she chose to write the, yeah. write the book. And I think it's funny that it's, like, categorized as fiction slash space opera. Yeah, it's a space opera. Yeah, and yeah. But I love how it's not... I always think of, like, space operas as, like, focusing on very key players. And yeah. this, as we've said before... Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Right. This <laughs> instead focuses a lot more on... The proletariat. You know, the, 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 the space proletariat. This is the space proletariat opera. And you know, wh- and this is one, your agitprop, bitches. And, <laughs> and, one, and one petite bourgeois. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Who doesn't want to be petite bourgeois? Yeah. But, okay, so... So do we want to get into spoilers now? Yeah, let's, like let's, get in, let's get into the spoilers. Let's talk about the book. Um, okay. So, so from here on out, we're going to be spoiling uh, Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. 
So please go read it if you have not already done so at this point. Um, and we'll catch you back here once you've read the book. All right. Or you could ignore our warning or and just listen anyway. Or you could ignore it and, and just, just listen reason. anyway. Yeah. But, but I can almost guarantee you that our haphazard retelling of it is not going to be nearly as interesting as the book itself. All right. All right. Everybody Agreed. back? All right. Okay. Have you all finished it? Okay. <laughs> now for the test. Um, <laughs> no, so... So the book starts off with Rosemary calling herself Rosemary Harper. We find out that that is not her real last name uh, on her way to her new job aboard the Wayfarer, which is the ship where main characters all live. Um, And she's escaping from her terrible past, which as it turns out is that her father who runs an energy company as if running an energy company is not evil enough. Um, (laughs) Space Enron. Space Space Enron. Yeah. (laughs) Also made extra money on the side um, selling weapons to both sides of a galactic conflict someplace far away. Um, Which, it is the the Taremi, right? Am I remembering? Yeah, it's it's the exact people that that they're going to go to. So, so the Taremi... So let's talk about the Taremi. Let's talk about the Taremi, because I love this concept, Mm -hmm. because it basically means that Insofar as this book actually has an antagonist, that antagonist is, like, uniformity. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, and inflexibility of thought. Uh, And all the heroes kind of represent, like, hey, go along to get along. Like, especially in the case of Ashby. Because, like, of who the Exodens are and how they have to survive, it's like... You just kind of let people do what they want, more or yeah. less, because they have no real military power. They have no real, like, overarching hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Which some people, some you know, of the other species have even taken to view the humans, or at least the Exilians, as like, yeah, you, know, you could just walk all over them. They'll yeah, let you do yeah. whatever. Yeah. And it's, so it's really interesting to have someone like that in a position of authority, because then Ashby... This is kind of what I mean when I say that he's he's he is kind of a father figure, like more than you can say about any of the other characters. Like he definitely fills that kind of role, because he is the one in charge. He's definitely the moral compass. He's the, he's the one in charge, but he doesn't like lord it over lord people. it over everybody else. Yeah. yeah, like he's in charge because somebody has to be in charge, and he knows how to manage people. But everyone follows him because they respect him, not mm. because they, like, fear him and not because he's yeah. this big badass. Like, he doesn't like guns. He doesn't like weapons. He doesn't like conflict. You know he's got a dad bod. He, do- he like totally my- has a dad <laughs> bod. He's totally got to have a dad bod. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and so he's just kind of this this very... Mediterranean Oh, there's fan, fan art. art. Yes. Okay. Oh. fan art. Yeah, he looks in this fan art. They have they make him look. Oh, he's of, way too buff. He's way too buff. He looks kind of like Mal from, uh, from yeah. Firefly. In yeah, this no, he's not that. He's like he's like David Harbour's character in Stranger Things. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know what I mean, like, Except but he, but, but he, even he's too manly. He's too manly. He's but he's got that kind of like he's I, I I don't know who exactly I pictured for a while. I did picture like. Um, I pictured him as black and then I'm like, we kind of went over it and it's like, it's more like 
Mediterranean or yeah, just kind of like because like, like, like the the whole thing with the Exilians is that exodens. all ex exodens sorry exodens. Uh, uh, is that all of the you know races and ethnicities of Earth have just kind of been mixing together for yeah. so many generations that there is no real different ethnicities except yeah. for like on different planets like yeah. different skin tones like like mm-hmm. so the people from Mars are still pink and that's like weird <laughs> because yeah. most humans well, don't look that way well it's not that they're pink uh it's that like the the ethnic differences have maintained yeah it's the ones that are like living in satellites that are pink like yeah. like corbin oh yeah that's true yeah. yeah like who don't get any natural sunlight at all yeah, yeah. and like just you know completely yeah anyway um, so anyway so so you know he's got he's got he's he's kind of soft he's kind of but he's like a very much a pacifist, like they're, the Exodenters care, are characterized as like anti-gun. They're pacifists. They don't want to get involved with other people's shit. Like they're very like live and let live kind of people. Um, because of what they needed to do yeah, in order to stop from killing each other from being on these exile ships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I find that it, like it's very very interesting because he's basically the opposite of every other ship captain yeah. in the history of science fiction. Like, he is, like, he's not even fucking Picard. The, like, he's, like... The, the one that I would actually put as closest to who this character is is Dallas from Alien. Mm. Um, because, again, he's, like... More space proletariat. More space proletariat, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's exactly why I kind of draw that comparison is, like, He's, yeah, he's in charge, but really, is anyone in charge? <laughs> like, that kind of a thing. Could you be in charge of Kizzy and Jinx? Um, well, I'm talking about, I'm talking about, like, Dallas from Alien yeah, now. Yeah. Where it's like, are you really in charge? Because, like, really, who's in charge in Alien is the company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's like, he's an authority figure, but not really. Yeah. Um, because, like, he is completely, like, undermined throughout that movie. Uh, and he's not really, like, this big, tough family man, like, main character. Like, you think he might be at some points, and then he gets, spoiler alert for Alien, killed off halfway through. Yeah. Um, trying to be the big, tough guy. Uh, so, uh, Ashby is very similar to that in a lot of ways, where he's, he's in charge, but, you know, they're still all, like, working class, so they don't really have that much authority. And his main driving, like, his main driving motivation throughout the story is, I want to be able to do nice things for my crew. Mm -hmm. Like, my crew works so hard. I want to be able to pay them more, get better things, upgrade the ship, all this stuff. Um, And I want to be able to do that on my terms. Mm -hmm. Still, like, kind of maintain my independence. Which is a really, like, it's a very interesting character arc. And I think, I think a lot of people, myself included, wanted to draw comparisons to... Mel from Firefly, but it's not a good comparison. No. That's, because he's not... That's just Han Solo. Yeah, again. exactly. Like, he's not Han Solo. He's not... Not knowing Firefly. Oh, okay, yeah. so, like, Mal is, like, prototypical... He's Han Solo. He's okay. Han Picture Han Solo, <laughs> change nothing. But, but like, <laughs> then libertarian and, times. like, yeah. <laughs> then clone him ten times, put all ten on the same ship, and that's Firefly. Yeah, no, that's fair. Okay. That's fair. It's, yeah... Um, this is, like, this book is, like, everything I think Firefly wanted to be or proposed itself to be. Mm -hmm. Um, 
where was I going with this? Uh, I don't know. So, I think like a lot of people would want to draw that comparison, but they're they're fundamentally very different people. Yeah. Because whereas Mal will like has that that quote of like, if I was gonna fight you, it'd be to your face and you'd be armed. You know, like that like that noble cowboy swagger. Whereas Mal is like, get that fucking gun off my fucking ship. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, you know? There's like a big part of the book where yeah. Ashby is just like, nope, no guns. Nope. We'll, we'll, we'll get shields if we need if shields. If we must. Yes, yeah. We'll get shields, but we're not. You know, because after, so there's an incident partway through the book, probably about a third of the way through the book, where they get um, boarded by a hostile species pirates they get boarded they, they by get, pirates they get boarded by pirates and um and the pirates like demand things you know you know yeah i love those pirates those yeah are the best pirates yeah because like they're not demanding money for the sake of money they're just demanding like we need fuel and food for all these refugees we have on board yeah and uh it's like an exchange like the threat of violence in exchange for these goods that yeah, they're shopping the threat for. of violence becomes a currency yeah and that's like yeah. explicitly stated in that scene it's great I love yeah. it. Um, and so, yeah, so after that happens, they were like, okay, well, we're going into a dangerous place. Um, we started off by saying we were going to talk about uh, the Taremi, and then we kind of stopped talking about, about the Taremi. <laughs> so kind of like the book. Yeah. <laughs> they kind of so start talking about them, and then don't bring them up again. Let's refocus on that, I let's guess. Let's refocus on the Taremi. So, okay. so the, the whole thing, the whole place where they're going, um, there's a species called the Taremi that basically... Not intentionally, but but in essence, blockades the center of the galaxy, which is a big deal because the center of the galaxy is where people get this stuff called ambi, which it's unobtainium. Basically, it, it does comes all from this black holes. Yeah, it, it comes from black holes, and it does all this crazy shit um, that's like super important to it's space oil. It's space oil. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually a yeah. really good way you to say it. You can get it from other black holes, or you can synthetically make it, but it's super expensive, and it's used to power a lot of things. It's space oil. So yeah. so, so the Taremi are constantly fighting, and they will basically fight anyone else who tries to go into their territory. Uh, and it turns out that the reason for it is that the Taremi all have to think alike. And when they're not in 100% perfect unison... They, they they fragment and they factionalize and they start fighting each other. Mm -hmm. so to when, find out what the truth is. To find out what the truth is. And that is their like their entire modus is they they believe in patterns and so they have to like find the true pattern in things. Mm -hmm. Like there's only one way that things can go. Um, but recently there's been a change. But in the recently pattern. there's been a change in the pattern where they've gone undergone a huge evolutionary shift where some of the female Taremi start being able to reproduce through uh, through aparthenogenesis, so so asexually reproducing, um, which is like a huge thing. And so, like the Taremi have started fragmenting over what does this mean? And some people see them as an some of the Taremi see them as an abomination um, and like subjugate them. Some of them kill them off, uh, but some of them see them as being like the new stage of evolution. The, the right and proper leaders of the Tremi clans. And so the Galactic Commons, because they want to get to the Ambi, the stuff that comes out of the black holes, the, the space oil, um, because they want a easier access to the Ambi, they make an alliance with one of those factions of Tremi, the Tremi Ka, um, who 
are trying to take over a planet. There's the small angry planet from the title. Well, they've taken over the planet. They've taken over the planet. But they need to hold it from the other clans. They need to hold it from the other clans. Um, And the reason why this planet... This planet is completely useless. It is a brand new planet that's still forming and still like... It's it's early Earth, basically. Mm. It's it's, uh, all volcanism and just insanity and shifting uh, continents and all that kind of that stuff. So no one can actually live there. But the Taremi want it because they think that that is the same thing as what's happening to them. Is they're in shift, this planet is in shift, so we and the planet yeah. are the same, so we want this. Patterns. 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 Um, and so they are settled, they're trying to claim that planet and hold it, and they have made an alliance with, or they've joined into the Galactic Commons, but only this one specific tribe, this one specific clan. And so the crew of the Wayfarer is hired to go there and like build this hyperspace bypass, uh, connecting Hedrica, the planet, to the rest of the galaxy. Um, which turns out to be a really fucking stupid idea. Because if you're trying to build a pluralistic society out of you know hundreds or potentially thousands of other different kinds of species and religions and ideologies that all kind of works towards one common goal, having a part of that society be completely rigid in their beliefs and literally ripping apart anyone who disagrees with them even over minor things is a bad idea Mm. um so that's kind of like a lot of the, the 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 political stuff of this book is our heroes are all from different backgrounds and different cultures and have different beliefs and they disagree on things but ultimately they all get along because it's better to get along than not and that is the ultimate message of this book um whereas like even you know even if you don't understand it even if you don't necessarily approve of it it is someone else's culture and that's where a lot of the drama comes in like we keep drawing the comparisons Mm -hmm. to star trek um famously when star trek the next generation was starting to be made um uh, oh God, blanking, blanking on names. Who created Star Trek? Gene Roddenberry. Gene Roddenberry, thank you. Gene Roddenberry uh, very famously wanted to say, like, oh, well, with this one, it's so far in the future that there are no more disagreements. There's no more different things. Like, everyone in the Federation always agrees on everything all the time. Um, which, that idea, if you've watched Star Trek The Next Generation, that's one of the big reasons why the first few se- seasons of that show kind of sucks yeah because there's no room for like interpersonal drama um which is what made the later seasons of that show and then much later on deep space nine much more interesting than the first few seasons because they kind of threw that idea out the window yeah (laughs) but it's like you need to have disagreements you need to have conflict in order to have drama and in order to have like people really yeah um, and so the, the crew of the Wayfarer do disagree and they do fight and they do get angry at one another. Um, but ultimately they, they kind of come to like common terms or at least accept the differences there. Yeah. Um, and just kind of shrug it off and be like, well, you're from a different culture and I kind of have to respect what your culture says. Yeah. Um, yeah. Unless you're Ohan. Unless you're Ohan, and I, I do want to talk about which, that which part. we got into. An I was about. really surprised that you got upset at that part, and you didn't get upset at what happened with Lovey. Yeah, like I was because that's the part of the series that like of uh, the book that bothered me the most. What they did to Lovey? It was not what they did to. Oh, Lovie, what happened? But what to Lovie. happened to Lovey? Yeah. yeah. Um. I think 
Okay, so like, the part that ex- we're talking about, and this is like super spoiler. This is this like is the end of the book. The major climax of the book. Basically, what we're, happens? We're, we're just going to jump all over the place. We're so don't expect all- any yeah. any chronological order. Um, Doesn't necessarily matter. So at the end of the book, they finally get their way to the angry planet. They're they have some cre like they have this cocktail party, and they're they're ready. They're ready to make the road. Um, but and- at this cocktail party, unbeknownst to anybody else. An intergalactic incident occurs, yeah. where, <laughs> where where the or like the second guard of the queen or whatever is there. Yeah, and he overhears Rosemary basically. Exp- Rosemary's like really upset because the Taremi have her father's weapons, and then she expresses that like maybe we shouldn't just be there, you know, and even though that's in direct conflict mm-hmm. with what Ashby wanted, which was to to be there and make this road, and then Rosemary's having misgivings about this. This deal. Mm-hmm. Once she sees, you know that they're they are using the weapons that her father mm-hmm. dealt. Yeah. Because uh, her father was a fucking arms dealer. Anyway. And this this one guard had been having some doubts anyway. Anyway. Yeah. About is if this is what we're supposed to be doing, and because this is a species where you don't have disagreements and everything needs to be in in. Or in if you do, you start shooting. Yeah. yeah. Or if you do, you start shooting. So he overhears her. Uh, having this conversation off to the side and decides uh, they start, you know, they're about to make the road and he decides to fly his ship basically into theirs and shoot it and shoot shoot it. it. And, and then they end up tumbling through this sort of like weird space layer. Everything goes to shit. The, 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 the ship is is completely falling apart. Lovey is destroyed in the process. Um, And the reason why I wasn't as upset at that, because I was like, somebody has to die. And my money (laughs) is on Lovey. Oh, okay. And the reason why my money was on Lovey is because of the relationship that her and Jenks have built up. Yeah. And because, so Jenks, earlier in the book, Jenks decides to buy a body kit. Because they're in love. Because they're in love. And he wants to be with her. Jinx wants to be with Lovey. Lovey wants to be with Jinx. They want to be in a more, like, physical relationship. So he gets her a body kit, but that's illegal. And he has a lot of misgivings about whether or not to put her in the body kit. And eventually decides not to. And I'm like, all right. They decide that uh, they're not going to put her in a body kit. One of these two characters is going to die before the end of the book. And that's why I wasn't as okay. upset with Lovey because I was expect I was like somebody has to die. Because for me, the first know. time I read the book, I found that part completely heart wrenching. Oh yeah, yeah. Part, most cause certainly. Because it's, it's like I totally expected. But it's so it's so hard because you said oh Lovey's destroyed. No, it's not that Lovey's destroyed. destroyed. Lovey is like damaged, like and they they work around the clock for like days trying to fix her and everything else in the ship. Um... And then it comes down to it, and it's like, well, the only thing that we could maybe do to save her is to reset. Is to her. do a hard reset, mm-hmm. and it's like that could do one or two. But either way, she'll come back. But it's like she might come back as a different person, and it's like that is so hard because it's not that she's yeah. dead; it's that she's restored to her like factory base. setting. Yeah, factory yeah, her setting. factory default out of the box installation. And he's, you know, and, and... So, like, she's just gone. Like, her personality is just erased. She yeah. becomes... She's still alive, quote-unquote, to the extent that a computer can be, 
but like she's a completely different person now and that is so like oh my god yeah <laughs> like it's not yeah. even that she's dead it's that she's still around but she's not the person that you remember yeah like that is that is emotionally traumatizing yeah um and i guess and i guess it was just i you know and it was and it was beautiful and sweet and the way that she was like I just don't want to feel like this anymore because it's like you get the sense that she has been completely torn apart at the seams. Like she yeah. is fragmented. She doesn't almost like you'd imagine somebody with Alzheimer's. Yeah, no. And that's what it's and, like. and so I think, and that was like the other thing too. It's like, clearly she can't go on yeah. like this. And I was kind of expecting her to die. And so that's why like, I was not as upset as Nick during that point of the book. Where I got upset and actually made Nick turn off the audiobook at one part. Because I was like, we need to fucking talk about this <laughs> real quick. Was, um, so at one point, so Ohan is a part of, is a sign-up pair. He's part of this race that believes that they were, like, chosen by the universe to be inhabited by a, a virus. A virus. And the virus kills them at 30. And, but it's, like, their belief that they're supposed to be hosts for the virus. And so he is like reaching the end of his life cycle. They, yeah. They are they are reaching the end of their life cycle. And they've come to terms with this. And then uh Kizzy and Ashby have to go to the planet of synapse who decide not to become pairs. Or get cured of it. Because there is cured. a cure for the virus. There, so there's a cure for the virus, and then they go down onto this planet, they learn that there's a cure that apparently Synap can can live well over a hundred years old if they don't have this virus infected with them. Um, and so the woman that they talk to gives them a vial and is like, Here, here's the cure, take it. And they, uh, Kizzy and Ashby end up going back up. And so Ashby, Dr. Chef and Ohan have like a round, round table and Ashby is like, here's the cure. If you want to live, it's right here for you. Um, and Ohan's like, no, like that's against everything that I believe. I'd rather just die. I want to do this job and then I'm going to die in peace. And like everybody tries to push him and he's like, no, like this is my beliefs. This is, this is who I am. This is what I've you know chosen. This is what my people believe. Um, at the end of the book, then after... Corbin, the biggest hero in the entire book, saves his life. Oh my god, shut up. <laughs> so, what happens is Ohan is dying in his room after... After they get back after from... After they get, the, get yeah. back from... And, um, like, everybody is focused on lovely... Lovey. Lovey. Everybody's focused on Lovey, who's you know, on death's doorstep as much as the computer can be. Um, everyone, like, they've all gone through this crazy traumatic experience. And Corbin is like, you know what? You don't get to make this choice anymore because we're not losing anyone else. And he just goes into Ohan's room and cures him. And I don't know why I was offended by this. <laughs> I had, like, a very visceral reaction so like, how dare Corbin just stamp all over 
all over um, Ohan's beliefs because like throughout the book, the default position has been you just respect other people. Like I, Ashby has a line that really stuck with me at one point he yells at, cause this becomes like a thing. And like Sissix is like, we have to cure Ohan, even if it's against his wishes. And Ashby's like, well, what if I told you to go, like, you need to go bring your kids and go raise your kids. Cause in her culture, you don't raise your own children. You give them to the elders of of your group um who then raised the kids and so like she had like a clutch of eggs um two of them survived and like which is also like really common that not all of the all of the clutch of eggs will survive um, and, and the kids was, aren't considered people you know, until, and the kids aren't yeah. considered people until that and it's like that's I like i feel like we should adopt that <laughs> like this is like everything about yeah. society it's like i could get behind that yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but, but anyway, he was like, you know, like, what about, like, my mammal milk-fed body? It offends, like, the core of who I am that you're not raising your kids. Like, how about that? And she's like, it's not the same. And he's like, yes, it is. They have an amazing argument. And I kind of, like, I was with Ashby with this. It's like, it's not See, anyone else's decision to make but Ohan. But I'm with Sissix on this, is that it, is that it does hurt other people. Like, this is, and it is a belief that stems... From a virus. The virus is the, the virus, self-preservation. Yeah, the virus is self-preservation because this virus does change their brain. Like, we know this. We know that that's what it, like, and the changes in the brain still kind of remain after the virus is gone. Like, that's the big thing is that the virus allows you to tunnel through. It's sort of like, um. It's, it's the sort spice. Of, yeah, it's the spice. It's the opposite of the spice from, from Dune where it's like it, instead of allowing you to live forever and then slowly changing you it changes you incredibly rapidly and kills you at an unnecessarily young age yeah um and so like the people who get infected with it and then are cured of it can still do all the crazy space shit that they could do before it's just that now they can actually think for themselves yeah and like that's the part of it is like that's the part of the story that it's like no i'm sorry your brain is literally being impacted by this thing that is telling you that this is the way that things should go because it's trying to preserve itself. Well, in the process, killing you. It is literally parasitical. Um, so th the parasite doesn't get a vote. The yeah. virus doesn't get a vote. I'm sorry. I know that's the core of their society, but if the core of their society is based off of a deadly, virulent disease, then there's maybe something to be said about that. That maybe that yeah. those sort of ideas should not be should not be uh, respected. That the ideas that literally are harming other people because it's like no one gets harmed by the way that androsks raise their children. Like that's the way that that happens. Like they're a reptile species. They have a huge bunch of eggs. They don't have that same attachment to their offspring that mammals do, and so they find other people to raise them. And it makes a lot of sense for the way that their culture and their society works. And it's not harming anybody. This is literally killing off people after merely a fraction of their lifespan. Like the, the equivalent, they find someone later on in the book who's like 130 standards old. And so it's like, you know, if a human being's lifespan, let's say 100 years, it's kind of stretching it. This is like if every human was expected to die at like 20 it's ridiculous. There's like no reason for that to be the case and to like have it be based off of again, a virus that literally changes your brain. 
And the and like they say about like I'm I don't want to take one side or the other. Yeah. Because like this would be something this is something that I had been thinking about back and forth. It's like mm-hmm. yes, both sides both of this argument have yeah. merit. Yeah. But I do also want to point out that the children that are infected with it don't get a There's say ch- in the first exactly. place. Exactly. That's the other That's part true. of it yeah. is that before they are they are fully like adapted to themselves as an individual they have to become a pair if this was something where a fully functioning adult had the choice to say okay i am okay with living shorter amount of time if i can do this or you know not then that might be one thing or the other i don't know but i just wanted to point that out that the kids are not given the choice at you know childhood at the point of infection Mm -hmm. and and i kind of made a few parallels like this is a society of anti-vaxxers or this is a society of people who like fetishize HIV infection, which is a real thing. Like, and like purposefully spread the disease. Like that's exactly what's happening here. Um, and yet it is also like their see, religion and, I, and, I and their culture. And, and yeah, like, but anti, like people who are against vaccination often are the, that way for religious reasons too. And I still don't think that that's like, I feel like at that point it becomes no longer about culture. And I feel like that's a, the point that the book is trying to make is that people are going to have a lot of different cultures and they're going to think a lot of different things. And some of that thing stuff might offend you, but if it's actually going to impact your life or someone else's like, like lifespan, like if it, if it is actively harming someone, even if it's actively harming the person who believes it, then at that point it becomes like acceptable to no longer like tolerate it. Because again, and there's a lot of, and I guess it's like, you know, I grew up in a religious household. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's why I'm leaning more towards Ohan. But I think, you know, one of the things that I, that I like, and, and so one of the things that I brought up when we initially, and now I'm starting to wonder if maybe this is like the proper analog, but one of the things that kind of offended me growing up was um, the idea in the Catholic church that, there, there was an idea being floated around for a while, and I don't know if it's still, um, obviously, I haven't, I haven't been to, not obviously, but, like, I haven't been to church in a while, so I don't, I don't know how people are still feeling about this. But way back, <laughs> way back in, like, 06, 07, when we had less shit to worry about, it was a really huge contention about the role that uh, life support played. And there was a strong, even the Pope at one point, and this was Pope John Paul II, espoused this at one point, this idea that, like, if you are on life support, even if you are brain dead, you just leave the person on life support. Like, you cannot destroy life at any cost. And it kind of offended me when I was a teenager um, because I felt like, you know, people should be allowed to have if people are allowed to have the kind of life that they want, then they must also be allowed the kind of death that they want. And I guess that was like my analog in my mind coming from my own personal experiences about what Ohan was going through. It's like, I saw it more so as here is somebody who's okay you know, with dying, okay. but then they put him on life support to heal him. No, like, 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 like I, I see it as, is more like a doctor-assisted suicide. Mm. Like, like you've been affected with this virus, you accept that this is like this is how it's going to end, and then you should just be allowed, you should just be allowed to do that, and other people have to deal with their grief, you know, and like yeah, it affects other people, but in like 
all deaths affect other people I, I don't know and so I think that was that was just like immediately where my mind jumped to mm-hmm. um yeah uh, yeah and, and then in, in and Corbin just went and like stamped all over Ohan's belief system and it kind of like and he cured him and then like a spoiler alert Ohan is eventually like happy with it and like Ohan like decides to stay as a as a member of the crew and he stays on as the navigator and he ends up becoming more involved with, with the, the rest of yeah, the crew. Yeah, going and joining and them like, for dinner and such like that. Yeah, which they had never done before. Being more present with other people, which they which he had never done before. Um, and so so there's that. And I got like I don't know. I don't know. And so that like really but it really kind of like got to me um, that part of the book, you know, because and especially since like the rest of it had been so, you know, you just got to respect his beliefs or you got to respect mm-hmm. Andrus culture or whatever. But then, you know, then they also draw a very hard line with Taremi culture. Mm-hmm. You know, like there is like uh, um, Ashby ends up speaking as like, has to go to a um a hearing basically about a hearing the basically like so every you know picture of c-span that you've seen with like somebody having to sit at a big table in front of like mark zuckerberg you know, in front of the senators yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like ashby has to do that and say you know kind of what happens and so he ended up um basically being like you know we can't allow the term we, we can't allow this we can't allow this type of of people that are willing to kill so easily so easily yeah. over over minor things and he was like yeah you know like this time it was a ship and they didn't want to um they didn't want to like have the road anymore but what if you know next time it's it's a drunken bar fight or like what if the next you know how long is it before like a shopkeeper gets killed because of a price disagreement like we don't know mm-hmm. what's gonna happen and so then they the galactic commons ends up drawing a very hard line and deciding like it's not mm-hmm. worth it it's not worth the space oil. but but there was still there was still a couple of the capitalists in there that were like no we can make this work we can make this work well they we got could, they like... got the other people in there because of basically because of the same reason yeah, the, yeah. those people that stopped their ship yeah um and and should we talk about that because that's going backwards a little bit but, yeah um, so on a previous episode of the long way <laughs> to a small angry planet which is like the best way to think about this mm-hmm. it is very episodic um so in a previous episode, they end up getting stopped by the um, name, name, uh, the, for the, the military police. Oh, oh the uh, the Quaylands. The Quaylands. They end up getting stopped by the Quaylands. Quaylands. And, and it's the Quaylands, like, there. It's the part of space that they run, and so it's like up to their jurisdiction. They decide to do a body scan on everybody, mm-hmm. and they end up taking Corbin away. Mm-hmm. Um. And, and, like, it's kind of explicitly mentioned that, like, the only reason that they're in the Galactic Commons is because they have access to some ambi or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, it's an alliance of convenience more than anything yeah. else. So, um, the Quaylin stop the ship. They end up taking, the Quaylin end up taking Corbin, and after doing the body scans of everybody, and the, um... And the reason why they take him is because it turns out that he's a clone. Yeah. Um, unbeknownst to him un, like completely unbeknownst to him he has no idea and it turns out he's a he's he's a clone 
Um, and in their society, clones are illegal and should be destroyed. They do not have rights. And the Galactic Commons basically says, like, every every planet can and every culture and every species can kind of decide on their own. But clones have to do not get natural born. Yeah, they, they have to apply for citizenship in the Galactic Commons. Like, yeah. it's not a natural thing like people who were born. Yeah. Uh, and it goes into, like, a couple of interesting reasons and things that, like, I wouldn't have thought before as to, like, why that is. Um, so he ends up getting taken taken off the ship. He's beaten. He's kept in, like, a prison cell for a few days or weeks. It's kind of unclear. Um, Rosemary finds a loophole that no one is pleased with, which is that Sissix, because her species has no laws about cloning um she can sponsor uh corbin. she can sponsor corbin citizenship and the quailin have to default to um andrus to andrus laws because mm-hmm. she's the sponsor so they have to default to the sponsor it's kind of like um you young kids wouldn't know about this <laughs> but back in the days before gay marriage was was the law of the land the rule was you um, there was a lot of like confusion about like if I get married in Massachusetts, is my um, marriage then going to be uh, void in void Alabama, in Alabama yeah. or like how is this going to be? And I think there was for a while there was this idea of like um, we'll just default to whatever state that you have your marriage license in, so you can be legally married, and then like other, but then that creates like second class citizenships within states because then some unions would be recognized because they had the money or the means to go fly to another state and get married and come back. And then even today, yeah. you know, even though the law, even though it's the law of the land, it's not uniformly enforced. Still. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and even though it's the law of the land in the U S it's not in places like Australia or New Zealand, there's, there's not uh, gay marriages aren't considered legal. Um, so that's kind of an interesting thing. So because of that, it's, she ends up having to be the sponsor, uh, Corbin sponsor, in order to get them out. And they're like out. linked together for a standard and they or something. Hate each yeah. other. They hate <laughs> each other so much because they, you know, like, Corbin is basically like, what can I like? He's incel Reddit, yeah, as a biologist, and uh, and and Sissix is like without the violence and the you know expectations of incel Reddit, but that's like. True. But like you know, he he wants he wants everything to be absolutely perfect. He doesn't stand anybody messing he's, with he's anything. He's a little autistic. Yeah, he's he's a little Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. Um, little Sheldon. Little, little, little bit. Not to be confused with Little Sheldon. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Anyway. <laughs> and like Sissix is like like a gay pride parade on steroids. Like yeah. her her culture is like very like pro polyamory, pro pro queerness pro like every everything in the book so they do not and they're a very empathetic species and so like they never see eye to eye on anything and um are really antagonistic towards each other throughout the whole book a lot of it's also got to do with the fact that that sissix is cold-blooded and needs it to be warm in the ship um but that the too high temperatures destroy the algae so i think he's mostly grumpy about that (laughs) yeah but, 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 like, the way, like, ideologically they're yeah. mm-hmm. opposed to foes. Anyway, thanks, Hamilton. Um, so it turns out, so, so then, so then that, that so, happens. So that so happens. Why did we and, bring this up? Well, because we were talking about how the, um, 
I think and, like, should you respect Ohan's belief, but then it's, like, the, lo- the legality of Corbin's status. Yes, 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 yes. And, uh... And so many analogs to, yeah. to shit that's happening in the real world. Yeah, and, and, like, as you pointed out, that's one of the reasons why it's such good science fiction is because you can read into it, like, a lot of different things, but it doesn't explicitly say... Like, hey, we shouldn't invade the Middle East for oil. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Like, it doesn't, you know, she doesn't explicitly say these things, but, you know, you kind of get the drift. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Andrus culture. Yeah. <laughs> now that we brought it up, Andrus culture is amazing. Yeah. So I think you had mentioned, when, we, when you first introduced the book, you mentioned the way that children are raised and how, like, a couple episodes back. I don't think I brought up the way the children were raised. I think you did. But anyway. I don't know. So it's kind of an interesting idea. There's there's hatch families, feather families, and... Home families. Home? House families or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So when when a female andrus has a fertile clutch of eggs, uh, she goes and finds a a house family to raise them. So the elders of, I guess like you're, you're born in your hatch family and you, you live with your hatch family and they teach you how to be a person. Um, so you're raised by like a group of elders mm-hmm. in like kind of, you know, you probably live on like a moon in like a small town, you know, or on the planet. In a yeah. City, you know, and, and this, this kind of, uh, assignment is is kind of kept track by government database and all yeah. that stuff. And uh when you when you grow into your feathers or gr- start growing feathers mm-hmm. um and you you're considered of age, you kind of leave and go forth and you find a feather family or you get to be a part of a feather family, which is basically like a big polyamorous group of mm-hmm. romantic linking of people. Yep. Of um, which for Sissix, it's the Wayfarer. Yeah. yeah. And it's not necessarily always romantic linkings of yeah. people. But. Mm-hmm. but but there's generally... She talks about, like, you you, you fuck everybody once. Yeah. <laughs> and a feather family. Like, you fuck everybody at least once. Um, is sort of, like, the default. But I which I thought was kind of funny. But it's like, you know, you have the feather family, which is, like, a group of people. And some, some people have more romantic bonds than others. And other people have... You know, it's more like a friendly bond. And some people, like, fucking hate each other. But, but they recognize that the other someone else in the family might need that person around for mm-hmm. whatever reason. Yeah. Like Corbin. Like Corbin. Yeah, like yeah. Corbin. And that's kind of the way that she views Corbin. Is like, I don't like Corbin, but Ashby needs Ashby Corbin. Needs Corbin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I like Ashby, so I'm willing to put up, up with, with Corbin. Corbin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then that's, like, the Feather family. And they're very, like... They're very, like, sexual species. They're very, like, cuddly, empathetic, like, friendly, happy. Like, the good side of polyamory. Yeah. Um, Kind of a species. And you can leave feather families. And she had, like, a feather family before she was on the Wayfarer. And now she's with them. And then when you grow older, you become a house family. And it's a more stable group. And it still changes from time to time, but not... As much as feather families, mm-hmm. and that's when you start and, raising the kids, and that's when you start raising the kids, and so and usually you try to bring back your fertile cr- clutch to whatever uh, house family you were a part of when you were a, when you were a hatchling, because mm. they usually last for two generations, is the yeah. way it's described. Yeah. So, um, so she ends up, you know, 
you find out like in the middle of the book kind of like apropos of nothing like you find <laughs> out like oh yeah like yeah i totally had like a couple of kids maybe and and rosemary's like what the fuck because <laughs> at this point they're like she's been making googly eyes at at Sussex. yeah that, that was um, throughout the entire book like what what kept me going through it the first time i read it was i got very invested in in the relationship between Rosemary and Sussex. <laughs> and so every time they had a, a scene together, I was just like, now kiss. <laughs> <laughs> this is when you kiss, this right? This is when you kiss now. This is when you get together. Um, yeah, and then she's like, what the fuck? Uh, you have children? And she's like, yeah, whatever. It's like, not a thing. Um, you know, and then it's like, and if you can't find anybody for your fertile clutch, you just go have an androsk abortion and like bury bury the clutch in the middle of the desert and like nobody you know nobody thinks about it um so the, yeah that's like that's just like a total that's just like you know it's it's mm-hmm. a thing and like in at one point in the middle there they meet with a lone andrisk and like in a in a marketplace yeah who has space autism mm-hmm. um a lot of space autism going on in this book yeah but like she she really struggles to like communicate with other people and she's not as like nuzzly or cuddly as like other andrisk and so like other Andrus have like shunned her, shunned so her basically for for not being like them, and so um, she kind of she finds this woman in the marketplace, and like they go and they cuddle for a bit. Yeah, and, like, like they cuddle they for have... a couple hours, and yeah, I don't think it's for a couple hours. But oh. yeah, it's for, yeah. it's for it's for longer than a human finds it like comfortable. Yeah, <laughs> and and they're like with each other, and then they exchange feathers. Mm. Um, at the end, which is um, a important, which is of. like a like a symbol of like you've touched my life in some way, hmm. um, which everybody in the Wayfarer has like gotten a feather except for Corbin. I wonder if Corbin gets a feather at like now that like she has to be his sponsor. Uh, I don't think that, like, that I'm not okay with this, but I, here's your fucking feather. He's, after after he saves Ohan, I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe after he after he saves Ohan. I don't know. Um, we'll have to see if if they reappear in another book. I, I hope so. I really God, do. I really hope so, so. So yeah, the second book in the series, I think I mentioned. So it's about minor characters from this one. It focuses mostly on the the new, new Lovelace, the new Lovelace now in the body kit that was purchased earlier in the book, and Pepper. Yeah. Um, and kind of how Pepper for those that that ignored our warning and didn't read the book yeah is one of the the te- friends of the texts and you yeah know, got the body Actually, case she has like place. an interesting backstory yeah mm-hmm. in and of herself which we won't get into read the fucking book um the, the second book goes more into her backstory like the the unlike this book where like it kind of goes back and forth between perspectives like it, this one mostly focuses on uh lovelace in the present and like dealing with being in a body and like trying to hide the fact that her existence is illegal. Um, and and they would just like up and destroy her. Like she doesn't even have the yeah. option. Like Corbin has the option at least to become a citizen. Like they would just upping up and tear, like delete her. They yeah. would delete her. They would delete her. And then they would like, pull a moniker. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, uh, and Pepper, they're, they and Pepper has chapters dealing with her past. So it goes very much into detail about, yeah where pepper comes from and her partner blue and like how they meet and how they get off the, sh- the, the planet where they were both from so um lovey ends up when when lovey is reset lovey, lovey is like completely lost and so now there's lovelace and so there's this like jinx 
can't function if he's hearing Lovey's voice, but knowing that it's Lovelace and that it's a different mm-hmm. um, AI, and they're like, I don't know if they can do that. And then like, and so and so they decide to. They're not going to delete her. They're not going to delete Lovelace because, like, she didn't ask to be born and she didn't ask for this. So they upload her consciousness to a body kit instead. And then they end up putting in a new AI mm-hmm. um, who, like, Jinx gets along with, but it's not the same romantic relationship that he had with Lovey. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What else do we want to talk about with this book? Because, like, we could literally we, be here for so hours. We could talk about a lot of stuff. I think we've kind of jumped around. Like, this is a, yeah. this is kind of mm-hmm. schizophrenic enough um, of, a, of an analysis of this book that yeah. we, we do encourage you, again, if you ignored our warning at the beginning... We do encourage you to read this book and find out yeah. for yourself all the little nuggets and, and bits yeah. of, of information that there is to be gleaned from it. Um, I'm what, sure... uh, what culture would you guys want to be a part of? Andrews. Of... <laughs> <laughs> You're like, give me the tail, give me the feathers. Yeah, yeah. I want to be a sexy dinosaur. <laughs> oh, we, did, we didn't even talk about the, the aliens. The aliens? The aliens, yeah, yeah. Everybody everybody likes them. Yeah. And they're, they're just Except like, for, like, they're... Except for the... The, the Remy. The, <laughs> like, man, they're stupid the super and ugly. ugly people. <laughs> no, but, um... Yeah. Everyone else, like, you, you like unilaterally agrees. <laughs> that, <laughs> that the Eluan are the prettiest... Mm-hmm. The prettiest beings. And actually, like, Ashby... Maybe he doesn't have a dad bod because, like, he's he ends up being with Pei. No, a... Pei totally is into the dad. <laughs> She's like... super into it. <laughs> She's like, I'm here for this. <laughs> uh, Pei is like a super badass. Like, and what's kind of interesting about that I find about this is like, in the way that like, Ashby should be the super badass gunslinging captain, you know, fast talking, fast shooting don't ask questions kind of a guy. And he's not that role has instead been given to pay the female captain of another cargo ship. And she's the one with like the gun. Uh, the, the cargo in quotes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is very much like, are you delivering weapons? Are you an arms dealer? Uh, I mean, she's going, like she's doing runner. like black ops. Shit yeah, she, is what she's doing. Yeah. I don't think she's doing the black ops shit. I think she actually is a cargo runner, but like, yeah, there's, there's soldiers on board for, yeah, for protection. And, and we never find out what that cargo is. Yeah. You know, we never do find out what that cargo is. Yeah. I, I suspect uh. that she actually is a cargo runner, but I expect, I suspect that it's like, you know, the same way that like, truck drivers in iraq circa 2005 yeah kind of a cargo run it's yeah. like you're probably going to wind up in a car in a combat zone even though you are technically a non-combatant right yeah. right 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 so she you know so i think it's very interesting that like she ends up having that status of the badass captain um and she hooks up with with ashby from time to time uh even though her species is Super like, against the the mix. Definitely against uh, interspecies coupling. Um, like she would lose her job, she'd probably get exiled, um, and so they have like a secret relationship. And then, kind of at the end of the book, I like how she's like, "Fuck it, life's too short. Like I'm just, you know, mm. I'm gonna go be with you for a month. Like fuck it, I don't, I don't care what happens." Um, so that's kind of interesting, but yeah. 
more. Uh, this is great, con- great, great, great contact, contact for the podcast, but more fan podcast. art. Oh yeah. yeah, I just want it so we we can. Yeah, okay. That that fan art is more of what I expect. I don't I don't necessarily like the way that this one is drawing. Um, uh, what's her name? Uh, drawing Sissix. Mm. Is we, is it the one where like Sissix is like super butch? Yeah, I don't like that either. She's obviously a femme. <laughs> like well, I maybe I maybe I'm biased because like I listened to the audiobook and she gives her like a very like breathy like sexy voice. Um but I mean you, know. you could still get that from a body like that too. Yeah. It's no problem, especially with with like the the it's, idea of, of reptilian species. I, I don't species. like the idea. It's, I don't like the idea of Oh, she's she's a lesbian. So there, like, I feel like the default in media is always like. Oh, is that the reason? Is butch okay. lesbianism? All right. I I, I, I am considered yeah. that. I was I was merely considering the species. For me yeah. personally, I don't like the way that they draw the, her feathers in that because I I picture her looking, uh, uh, like more like a raptor kind of, yeah. but with like yeah. a whole bunch of feathers on top. Yeah. yeah. Like, and her feathers are clearly red. Sissix is clearly a redhead. Yeah. So again, great, great. What's up? <laughs> what you saying? I'm son? saying that I like Sussex a lot, and I like yeah. You a lot. This so is family. like my. Yeah. No, that's exactly how I pictured her. Actually, I... yeah. This is great for the podcast. Great yeah, podcast. So good. So such good. Yeah, I've seen that her. one. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All right. So anyway, the go go read the book. Um, the Look second at... one is also really good. Close and comment orbit. I don't like it as much because Sissix ain't in it. <laughs> uh, but it's still really good. Uh, and then the third one is coming out, I believe, next month. Oh, um, also her uh, Andrisk apparently are also nudist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they, they, they don't wear any clothes on their, their home planet. They don't have a sense of modesty. We, we've moved past your old-fashioned <laughs> notions of shit. Ah, brisk. <laughs> to quote Futurama. Uh, but, um... Yep. Uh, Oh, this is something that, like, has bothered me. This is something that bothered me, is I feel like they always talk about Martian accents versus accident accents, and the the audiobook reader didn't give Rosemary a specific accent, and they're like, oh, it's so cute, and, like, they make a big deal about it, and I'm like, are they British? <laughs> are they Californian? Because they're all, like, Silicon Valley I, th- I Descendants? don't. I don't like, know. Maybe, maybe they didn't want to try to put one down yeah. as an accent for like, this an is accent that would not exist in a language. Like everyone's speaking a language yeah, like, that is not English. So. Clip, so yeah, which I don't. Is clip isn't like the official language of any one species. I, I have. The, is it like a conlang? I think. I think it's like yeah. I think it's like a um, like an Esperanto like thing. An Esperanto sort of like a like a pigeon language maybe. Mm. I, I I imagine clip as being like. Because everyone is so different from one another, I imagine Clip is like, okay, we can all make these sounds with our vocal cords, okay. so let's just work with within these sounds. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that's the, kind of what I expected it to be. Uh, uh, Sorry. More things that I want to talk about that are awesome with this book. I'm not ready for this discussion to end. Uh, I want to go back no. to something that's like 15, that we talked about 15 minutes let's, ago. Let's, let's do it. Um, where we talked about uh, when the... Akaraks. They're the Akaraks are the space pirates. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. they board the ship. I love that it's Rosemary. And it's... It's it's through uh, the power of language. Yeah, it's yeah. through the power of language. Like, of, like I like how... They speak um, Harmagian, yeah. whatever it is. Hanto. They Hanto. speak Hanto, which is the, the, the language of the, the Harmagian. Yeah. And um, so she ends up, like... 
talking them down and is like, what do you guys want? What do you guys need? Yeah. Like, I can get you this, but you gotta like, you gotta meet my demands as well. And so, and she does it through like a knowledge of their culture. Um, because she took that one course. She took yeah. that one on course. On Hermogy and colonialism. I love how it's like, <laughs> like fucking education is important. Mm. And it's not the idea of like a, the only thing that can stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. It's like, no, it's a calming, yeah. soothing voice <laughs> that says, let's find mutual ground. And I love how, like, that's the answer. I did love that. Yeah. I, I love everything about that that chapter. Yeah. The, the, and that's kind of what I was saying earlier is, like, everyone gets the opportunity to be the hero yeah. in this book. Like, so Even fucking Corbin. Corbin gets to be the I hero at the end. When he um, saves Ohan. Uh Ohan gets to be a hero when he like when he manages to like steer them through steer them the, through uh, at the end. Yeah. Um, a- along with Sissix gets, yeah. being the one to like actually do the piloting, uh, and then yeah, Kizzy fixing the ship and uh, fixing the other people's ship, fixing yeah. the other Getting, people's ship. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, the scene where they they find mines yeah. on um on the on Pay's ship. Pay's ship. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, she gets to dismantle the mines, and so she gets to be a hero there. So it's like everyone, like, because everyone has, like, their own skills and are relatively skilled at what they do, they all are able to, like, kind of step forward and shine at different points in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is another really interesting way of going about it, where it's not just, it's not Captain Kirk going around, yeah. like, hammer-punching lizard men <laughs> until everything's okay. It's, it's some other captain... Hanging out with lizard women yeah. and and having wonderful conversations. Yeah. Yeah. So if that sounds like your kind of book <laughs> and you haven't read it already. Which if you're still listening to us, then yeah. I, I would assume this is the kind of book that you like. And if you did. Is there like a, a big question that we want to ask about this? Like I was kind of. I mean, know. the big question I was going to ask is, is um is Corbin justified? But we already had that discussion. Yeah, that's true. So. I, I think it, I absolutely think Corbin is justified. And I think that's kind of a lot of the point of the book is like there's a lot of times like you can overlook a lot of different things. But if someone is actively killing themselves because of a stupid belief that's inf- literally infected their brain, then no, you have the right to like stop them from doing that especially if it's like again it's not like you'd be dying like there if for literally any other reason like it's just you're infected with the virus we have the cure for the virus yeah here you go <laughs> um i yeah i it, but i think it's mostly like you mostly try to get along with other people you mostly try to find those common grounds those those abilities to where you can empathize with other people you should yeah. Um, and that's really the important thing and that inflexibility and shooting first and asking questions later and like that you have to think and act and believe exactly like me is a poisonous and dangerous way of thinking. Um, and that's a lot of what this book is about is how do you live in a pluralistic society and how do you try to respect yeah. other people? But when do we know like at what points do we have to stop accepting them is the other part of it. It's like, yeah, yeah, if someone wants to completely wipe you out (laughs) and your way of life, then yeah, that's probably a problem. And maybe don't be friends with that person. Even if they have all the space oil, don't be friends. (laughs) Um, If you enjoyed this book, if you did uh, listen to it and and you enjoyed it, or you did, you, you, you listened to our recommendation, you went out and read it and you enjoyed it. 
Um, check out The Hainish Cycle by Ursula K. Le Guin. I mentioned her earlier. Um, the uh, My favorite book in that series is, uh, is The Dispossessed. Uh, Left Hand of Darkness is also really good. I personally just picked up a few more series, a few more books in that series that I have not read yet that I'm looking forward to reading. Um, but they're all really, really good. They're all really, really solid. Why are women better sci-fi writers? That's uh, where we started this. Let's finish it. Now. Let's go back um, to that. I, uh, no, I I, I, I feel like I'm being. Facetious. I honestly do feel like there is something to it because it is. It is supposed to be a, uh, like a genre exploring what it means to be human, and somewhere along the way, men focus more on, well, how do we conquer the galaxy? Um, you know, maybe that's a little bit sexist of me to say, like, but I feel like a lot of that is. Like, even the ones that are more interesting, um, that kind of deal more with like our place in reality or our place in the universe, like Philip K. Dick or um, uh, The Forever War, that kind of stuff, it, it's it's still kind of told from a very kind of limited mindset uh, in terms of the female characters. Uh, and maybe and we'll... I like, a, like a lot of times I find in science fiction that especially science fiction that's written by men, the women are window dressing. Yeah, exactly. Like even uh, the, uh, the forever war, um, yeah. which I think is an amazing book and probably one of the best pieces of military science fiction because basically the whole point of it is the military is incompetent and wars don't need to be fought yeah. <laughs> most of the time. And they just completely destroy people's lives. Um, told from the perspective of someone who himself was a military veteran. So it's very realistic yeah. in the way that he's describing a lot of that. Um, is it, it, it the way that he, that care, that person deals with, gender politics and like sexual politics is very limited you know because it's being written by someone you know, by by a yeah. white, cisgendered man a straight man from the middle of the 20th century so even though he gets a lot of things like really right there's also a lot of stuff that he's kind of limited in including i came back from war to find the planets filled with gay people which is did not age very well here in the 21st century i mean in the 70s i guess it made sense but yeah um and like again philip k dick with how he how he kind of writes one woman character over and over and over again that kind of a thing um Whereas something like this, or uh, another one that I would recommend, Ursula again, Ursula Le Guin's *The Hainish Cycle*, or um, *Bloodchild* by um, Octavia 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 Butler, um, is another really good one, uh, dealing with like how do we deal yeah. with things that are incredibly alien from us, uh, and that's a, that's a short story, so that's a really quick read. Um, but there's a lot of other books in that, yeah. there's a lot of other stories in that same book. Uh, all right, guys. Well, Alex, what's the webcomic oh, of the I was, week? I was going to say something else. Oh, yeah. Well, oh, go, yeah go ahead. Yeah, go so it. I just wanted to, before we get to the webcomic of the week, though, I wanted to talk a little bit about another thing I've been doing sure. um, that's kind of a follow-up to something that I mentioned way back in, like, episode three or something. Um, do you guys remember when I talked about a cultist simulator? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually saw that for sale the other day. Yeah, it actually finally came out yeah. for, a to- for a full release on Steam, and I've been playing it a little bit. And it is everything that I had hoped it would be. Excellent. <laughs> um, I'm basically, you know, as I said before, you 
get a letter from somebody that's a bequest of their will and it's like a talking about your dreams and you look into it and all of a sudden you, the world opens up to you but the way the game is played it's it's kind of abstract and um it's very much about time management uh in that it's set on a table and you have cards that represent um, different aspects, like for example, your your health or your insight, your your passion and your reason, uh, as well as things that you have, like books and uh, things, people that you know, like followers or people that are looking into you. And then there are certain verbs. I don't know if that's officially what they're called, but that's what kind of the communities called them, where you can place these cards in the verbs in order to have things happen. So, for example, if you place the uh, heart verb the health verb in the health action card into a verb that says work then you're performing menial back-breaking labor and you're using your health in order to obtain money uh, if you place your reason into it then you're going to like a clerk job and, and a very menial kind of clerk job and if you put your passion in there then you're painting and you might not make a lot of money but you're at least expressing your passion and it's a kind of abstract way but they're all kind of timed on like a on like a timer so you got to kind of manage the timers and shit then of course as your cult grows people will come investigate it and you can try to send people to kill them or destroy the evidence or something like that. <laughs> and then when you inevitably die, you have the option, at least I did in my game, to play as the investigator huh. that investigated your case. And then like you have this bundle, like I've closed this case file. I don't want to open it, but I feel like I must look into it further. <laughs> and it's like you have, like in that case, like I had the option of just kind of ignoring those urges and keeping on with the case. And I tracked down one of the, uh, co-conspirators that my previous character had, I finally gathered enough evidence to put them away, then I've got a minor, a minor victory of like, okay, you rise through the ranks of the organization and retire peacefully, happily, and then play another character. And it's <laughs> like, like you know, you keep playing these characters and you have different ways of actually winning the winning the game, so mm -hmm. to speak. Uh, so it's, it's really fun to play. And I've also been watching a Let's Play of, of somebody that I follow uh, play through it as well. Okay. Um, but anyway, so that, that's kind of what I've been up to. And is it out on Steam now? Because I think I saw it someplace else. It is out on Steam. Okay. Now, yeah. And I think it's also on sale, like, like a release sale. Um, so it's a few few shekels down. Then I might have to check that out at some point. Yeah, check check that out. Um, so yeah, E3 just happened. Steam sale is going on, so a lot of video game stuff. To oh talk yeah, about, E3 video games later, I guess, because we talked about a book for an hour and a half, hour yeah. forty five minutes now. We don't want to bring the, make this a two hour thing. Uh, I mean, I guess we could. Uh, uh, E3 happened. Uh, Fallout. Fallout. Who cares? Um, <laughs> hey, <laughs> people care. I know, but it like. It's not going to be... We know it's not going to be good. They took the one thing that everyone hated about Fallout 4. Everyone it, hated about I, it? I feel like the most... Because like, I think we have a friend, a mutual friend, that really enjoyed that part of Fallout 4. The base building? Yeah. Really? Because I heard that it was like, even if you like that kind of stuff, that that part was like buggy and broken. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I like the idea of it just being like, you know, now you can do it multiplayer. But that means that you can't have an interesting story. And that's, like, always been the one really good thing about Fallout is the story. And yeah. so... Uh... <laughs> it's something to look further into. We've just kind of been, you know, teased about yeah. it. Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. That's... That does look interesting. That's the most important thing to come out of E3. <laughs> is that we now know what Shadows Die Twice is. So I'm excited about that. Also... Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's the second most important thing. The most important thing is Metal Wolf Chaos is getting a re-release. And we're finally getting it in the States. And we got another nugget of of uh, Kojima's masterpiece. Yeah. 
we actually finally saw gameplay. I still have no idea what that game's going to be. <laughs> I look forward to not understanding that game all the way through. Yeah. <laughs> and we will not understand it with you. Yeah, yeah. And what about you? Did you did you pay any attention to this? No. no. Elise doesn't play video games. Well, she does. I, but... I, I play some video games. I... There are some video games that, like, if there's one that I like, I get really into it, and I'll play it, like, over and over again. But, there, like, I love, like, I love playing Persona 5. Um, I love playing Zelda Breath of the Wild. Like, I, I don't know. Okay. But I'm not, like, a video game aficionado. Okay. All right. All right. So, webcomic of the week. Shall we close this out? Yeah, yeah let's, let's close, close it out. out. All right. So... The webcomic of this week is one that... I'm starting to run out of them, uh, if you haven't guessed. I'm, I'm, this is one that I kind of have mixed feelings about. Okay. Um, and unfortunately, it hasn't been updating in a while. Like, it, it went on hiatus, and it's just like... Um, but this one is called Blind Springs. Have I mentioned this one before? I don't think so. I don't believe so. Okay. No. So, Blind Springs is... Um, so, it's about this, this girl, uh, Tamura, uh, who is kind of this this mythical this is like a been a fables like there's the girl in the woods that's ageless and she's been there her whole life and or been there for as long as anyone can remember and uh you, you know try to find her it's like it's like a, a story like a myth yeah and it turns out that she's real and this young boy finds her and decides that um and she's kind of like stuck in time and and he decides okay i'm gonna rescue you and she's like no i don't want to though and, and yeah. he does anyway because you know he's he's a guy i guess yeah. um and so she gets brought into like the present and it turns out that she's actually like deposed royalty from this country that had a uh, a revolution the 300 years ago and and the idea of the world is that magic is of these different countries is based around the royal families of each country and like so each country is like you know this one it was based around the family that ruled for generations and then there was a revolution led by a, essentially someone that came up with a new form of magic that was more egalitarian, and anybody could learn it based around sigils and things like that. And the reason why I'm kind of hesitant about this book, like like kind of iffy about it, is because it's presenting that as a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's presenting the old ways of like Faustian deals and like dealing with these spirits and and like the the royalty of that it's like that's presented as kind of like the golden age of like good times when as opposed to like making magic accessible to the humans and advancing society like others in magic like yeah. creating like street cars and, and gas lamps and things like that you know i've often wondered what harry potter would look like if it was written by ayn rand uh. <laughs> so the the story is interesting, you know. The, a lot it take, more rape, first of all. Uh, uh. It takes it takes this interesting perspective of um, of the girl and some friends that she makes, and like the the boy character, I, I can't remember his name for the life of me, um, but but he kind of grows up and comes back and rescues her, and like he is kind of like a neutral character, like like he's kind of gray, like he did you know bring her into the world, but he also doesn't necessarily have all the trappings of the modern society like he's kind of stuck between and then there's of course all the the bullshit politicians that are apparently super corrupt and and just kind of using it for their own power so it's it's a weird kind of thing like i said it hasn't updated in a while and i'm kind of okay if it would end here uh but it is still something that i have read for a while and would recommend to people to check out you know everything i, I recommend is not necessarily good but it is something that is going to be interesting at least um so 
that's the webcomic of the week. Do we have any last minute after the webcomic of the week and news announcements? Uh, no, not really. No. Okay. <laughs> go read, go read Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. And then, uh, when if you're you done have... with that, sorry, when you're done with that, read the other books in the series and uh, Ursula K. Le Guin. Tweet us your questions, or email us your questions, or comments, or reactions to the book. Where, where can they tweet us and so, email us at some nerds? Whatever. Some nerds have a Gmail, and some nerds have an email at, at gmail.com. Gmail. Yeah. Yeah. What was and that again? Some nerds pod is our is our is our Twitter handle. Barely handler. used so Twitter, yeah. Better, barely used Twitter. We we need to get on that. We just need to be better. I'm sorry, podcast audience. <laughs> all six of you. you guys have to, like, all six of you guys that have to slog through this every other week. But yes, they have thank to. you. You're contractually obligated it. to listen um, to our podcast. You know, one day, one day we'll stop sucking at this. Nah, don't make promises. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, this has been Some Nerds Have a Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Elise. I'm Nick. And good night, everybody. Thank you.